Thank you. Right, okay, here we are. Um, having a look at Lot again, uh, who um, children got him drunk and then went into him, and Moab and Am Ammon are the result. See, nothing changes, does it, you know, really? Mankind is, is, is just the same. Thank God for Jesus. So with the call of Abraham, I'm flipped to Genesis 32:28 now. And with the call of Abraham, the birth of Isaac, and subsequently Jacob on your little thing here. We have got copies of that. If you want the chart, don't go try and there are copies here. The only one that I didn't get copies of, could you like to hand them out? Um, was the block thing, and I think it was because the poor boy was nearly having a fit over me trying to get this stuff done. And it was, the enemy was really having a good time, but never mind. So we'll get some copies. So the call of Abraham, the birth of Isaac, and subsequently Jacob, Israel's history as a nation begins to form. And Jacob, who supplanted Esau, wrestles with God and has a new name given to him, and he becomes Israel. In Genesis 37, in the course of time, Jacob has children, 12 of them, boys, one of whom is Joseph. The family discord grows when Jacob makes the mistake of favoring Joseph above his brothers. And you all know the story, they plot to kill him. And rescued by Judah from a pit, the brothers sell him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver, reporting to his father that he's been killed by a wild animal, which just about decimates Israel, doesn't it? It's just about on his knees over that. You see, Reuben, I think, should have been the one that actually he's the firstborn, but he went up to his father's bed, didn't he? You could lose your inheritance like this. Levi was the, the priestly tribe. So it falls to the next one, Judah. It would have been the lion of the tribe of Reuben otherwise, or whatever. It's interesting, isn't it, to see the way that things just work out. Did yeah, I think some of them did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Genesis 38, 7 to 10, it goes from bad to worse. Um, Judah's first son, Ur, was wicked in the Lord's sight, and he kills him. And Onan, his brother, refuses to help his sister-in-law. As I say, the custom was in those days, if your, if your husband died, your brother went in to the wife and gave her children. But if you look at it, he spills his seed on the floor. And God's not pleased about that. And he goes as well. Um, so it's Genesis 38, 7 to 10. It's all pretty raw in there, isn't it, in Genesis? It's all happening. Um, so Judah then deceitfully withheld his son from Tamar, his daughter-in-law, in Genesis 38, 11 to 15. She was waiting and waiting for the son, whose name escapes me for the minute. And relationships with the Canaanites became commonplace to the extent that Judah saw nothing wrong with having a sexual relationship with a shrine prostitute. Do you remember the story? He goes out with his, his staff and his seal and, <coughs> and that's something else. Uh, and there she is sitting, veiled by the side of the road. And he says, can I come in with you for a small fee? So 
he goes in, gets her pregnant, and then he sends them back with some money for her because he didn't have it. She took the staff and the thing in payment. Uh, and he, they come back and say, there isn't one. Oh, well, forget it then, he says, till he finds that his daughter-in-law is pregnant. The man shall die, he says. And she says, it belongs to the man who gave me these. <laughs> Ever been had. And by Judah's generation, no mention is made of public worship or testimony. Downhill slides. Is it any wonder that by the fourth generation they were enslaved in Egypt as prophesied in Genesis 15, 13 and 14 where God said for 400 years they'll be subject to another until the iniquity of the Amorites is full. We were talking about this last night. God will allow evil to go on uh, until it becomes like a cup that is full. And once that cup is full and starts to spill over, judgment. We were talking about prayer actually and, and uh, we were saying, I said, it's like a chalice. You keep praying and the level goes up and eventually it comes to fullness and you see the manifestation of what you've prayed for. But what I actually saw as we were talking about prayer was a little file of oil. And while we were praying, it carried on pouring. As soon as the prayer didn't come, it just stopped. It faltered and stopped. So there are times for importunate prayer. Keep on praying like the importunate widow, you know, pulling. But you need to know that you've got to press in like that. We pray, as I think you know, for, um, from the Women of Destiny conference, we've been praying for the country every day uh, since the bombings in London. And we've seen things. We've seen uh, the bombs being diffused, being found, not going off the people being discovered before they got to it. We've seen magistrates being heavier on things. We're beginning to see, so we ain't going to stop. Someone said to us, oh, just to make sure it's not a ritual, I thought, get thee behind me, Satan. <coughs> Sorry about that, didn't know it. So, uh, while all this is going on, in Genesis 39, Joseph has been transported to Potiphar's house in Egypt where he becomes very successful until Potiphar's wife, as you know, takes a fancy to him and he ends up in prison. Come and lay with me. You've got to be joking. So he does a runner uh, and she raises the roof and he ends up down there. And even there, God is with Joseph and he's trusted by the chief jailer. Don't be downcast if you're going through trials. God is testing your heart. He's testing your heart. And as Graham Cook would say, if you, don't, you can never fail. You just go round it again. So don't be downcast. Just find out what it is you're going round and make sure you're going to go through it next time. It's the key. Um, so Joseph really was a man of integrity and he proves it time and again. Um, he nearly missed it when he was there with the baker and the, I think it was the wine cupbearer and the baker, wasn't it? And they're getting led out and they have some dreams. And he says, remember me. And God says, yeah, you've got to stay another couple of years, Joseph. You haven't got the message yet. You've got to get settled in where you are and wait till I lift you up. So in the fullness of time, Pharaoh has a dream or two, uh, which result in Joseph becoming very successful. Rising to be trusted by Pharaoh and promoted to only second only to Pharaoh himself. And you know how due to the famine, Joseph and Jacob and the family are finally reun reunited. Uh, and Jacob lives out his days in Egypt. 
prophesying over his sons just before his death. In Genesis 49.10, we now clearly see through which line the Messiah will come. Very interesting, so Satan's on it. Just interesting to have a look at the prophecies that uh, Jacob um, spoke over his sons here. Gather together and hear this I'm reading from uh, Genesis 49.1. That I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together and hear you sons of Jacob and listen to Israel your father. Reuben you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, you shall not excel, because you went up to your father's bed and there you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of violence are in their habitation. Let not my soul enter their council. They've knocked themselves out. Let not my honor be united to their assembly, for in their anger they slew a man. And in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger for its fierce, and in their wrath for its cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. His name means praise. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? Here we come. This is the messianic uh, prophecy. The scepter rulership shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, that's the staff, until Shiloh, peace, Messiah, comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, Isaiah 63, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk, Song of Songs. And then he goes on to talk about the others. But there you see it quite clearly, the scepter because when Jesus came, he showed all the things of kingship. Scepter of power, all sorts of things. Maybe we'll have a look at that too. That's very interesting, how he fulfilled all the um, requirements for a king. Um, that's, a, that's a very interesting study. I mean, there's so much. Covenants, all sorts of things. Just, just to, you shut the door and never come out, really, if you went into all of this. Absolutely beautiful. So here we are. So the scepter will not depart till Shiloh comes. Through the tribe of Judah, the seed will come. If Satan had thought that by getting rid of Joseph down that well, he could thwart God's plan, he was wrong. And now this deathbed statement from Jacob, God has not forgotten his promise and his plan is still on course. And from this time on, Judah was viewed by all as the royal kingly tribe. In Exodus 1.8, um, the other, that little box again, which is around somewhere, the little acetate, yeah. You get the midwives being told, don't you? Pharaoh's command, one, two, three, down. 
Satan at the back of this, Pharaoh's command to kill all the Jewish male children there. But the believing midwives said, oh, they're too fast, giving birth, can't get to them. Swallow that one. Uh, and Israel suffered in Egypt after Jacob and Joseph died because it says in, I think it's almost verse 1 of Exodus 1, uh, that the Pharaoh of that day did not know about Joseph. So rulerships changed, didn't know about Joseph. There's these smelly old shepherds, they didn't like them, you know, they wouldn't eat with Egyptians. That You know all about that for when uh, Joseph entertained his brothers. They were entertained in a different place because the Egyptians would not eat with Hebrews. So Satan steps in again to try to prevent the birth of the promised seed, but this plan is thwarted by the God-fearing midwives who let the boys live. And Exodus continues the story that began with 70 souls uh, that have now multiplied to goodness knows how many, probably a couple of million people. And the story splits into two parts in Exodus, from chapters 1 to 18, is the Exodus itself, and then from chapters 19 to 40 is the revelation of God. So we go through then Leviticus, we're going to skip through now, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings and Chronicles, and we see the outworking of Israel's history, good kings, bad kings, the rebellion and idolatry, despite having the commandments and the blessings of God upon them. Um, those of you who will know the kingdom spits into two, uh, Israel and um, uh, the other one, I can't think of, northern and southern kingdoms anyway. And a whole heap of trouble goes on there. So God tells them in both Leviticus and Deuteronomy, if you do this, I'll do that. So he lays it clearly down, that's why we need the maker's instructions. His love and grace sends prophets to warn them, and these were mostly killed. Jesus said, didn't he? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets. Not a lot different now. Don't say it. This is grace before judgment again, and as I said earlier on, there was what's known as five cycles of discipline, each becoming more severe until the finally the whole nation is dispersed amongst other nations of the world, and they're currently starting to come back from the fifth cycle of discipline. That is an interesting study as well. We might have, li have a little quick little look at that. Once I think you've got the outline of the scriptures you need to be looking at, you can go home and do your own study on it and you pick out what you're interested in. Um, in 1 Samuel 8, 7... This is where Samuel has been called as a prophet, and he's pretty elderly now. Um, I'll read it from the beginning. 1 Samuel 8. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons ju judges over Israel. You remember Samuel, he was the one that didn't let a word of God pass, drop to the ground. When he was with Eli, and a long, long time ago when I was at Paddockwood Christian Fellowship, I said, Lord, I'm not going to let a word of yours drop to the ground. Uh, I've gathered it all up, all the, all the prophetic words that come, I've got them all there, like gathering it up, won't let a word drop to the ground. Anyway, Samuel's sons are not like their dad. They didn't walk in his ways and they turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes and perverted justice. 
And here comes the split, really. Then all the Israel's, uh, elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said, Look, you're old and your sons don't walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge like all the nations. They were not satisfied to have God rule over them. They wanted a man ruling over them. Um, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge. So he prayed and the Lord said to him, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you. They've rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they've done since the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice. He's saying, you can have what you want. God gets to the stage of this with us. If we insist on having what we want, he'll give it to us. But we won't enjoy it. <laughs> you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them behavior, the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So they're going to get what they want, someone with skin on, someone who will reign over them because they're not satisfied with having the sovereign Lord himself to rule them. And so they're given Saul. And subsequently, because of Saul's failure, David. I'm often asked why God seems to be a God of wrath in the Old Testament and a God of love in the New. And he says, I, the Lord, change not. He's every bit as much a God of love in the Old Testament as he is in the New. He hasn't changed his character. If he did, we'd be in trouble. We might be saved one day and lost the next. Last night I said to him, I'm just so glad, Father, you don't change. There's everything on shift around me, but I can just lay back like the bet into the Aleph and say, you're not changing, you know. And that's what I went to sleep with last night, just knowing his immutability. Another study. <laughs> Character of God. <laughs> you see, the more you know who he is, the more you know his word, the more secure you become, the more confident you are, the more you will become what God wants you to become. Because living word. I did it again the other night. I felt, I don't know if I sold you this one. I, I wanted, I, I was tired. So, But I got just a fleeting impression to do a couple of proclamations before I went to sleep. And I thought, no, nah, too tired. Fall over, keel over. Woke up the next morning feeling like I've got a hole in here. Just like I, I thought, I've been robbed in the night. What's gone? So I prayed and I asked the Lord. I repented until I couldn't spell it. And then I said, Father, what have I done? And I just remembered this. And I got my little prayers and proclamations book of Derek Prince's. And I just started reading them out, you know. And it was filled up. I'd not done what I was told to do. And with the result, I drained out overnight. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is a proceeding word. When God speaks something, it goes on. It just proceeds. And the same with our words. It proceeds. If we speak bad words over ourselves, it proceeds until we stop it. You know, we get, words are very, very powerful. We be very careful about them. So if we fully understand the effects of the fall together with Satan's pollution of mankind and the idolatrous system he's established, we understand that unless pagan cities were put to the sword, Israel would become as idolatrous as they are. 
And that's exactly what happened. It's uh, the story that Joyce Mayer tells, isn't it, about the, her children coming to say, can we watch this video? Well, what's in it? Well, it's only a little bit of swearing, only a little tiny bit. You wouldn't hardly notice it. So I think it was Dave, wasn't it, that made the chocolate brownies, the fudge brownies. So while the kids were out, Mum said, wait and see. While the kids were out, Daddy made some fudge brownies. Oh, they came into the smell of fudge brownies. About to reach for it, and he said, oh, one thing you just need to know. I've just put a little bit of dog's do in there. You won't notice it. <laughs> Message. Got across. Only a little bit. God would have had them be ruthless, you see, with what was wrong around them so that they didn't get led astray, so that they didn't go idolatrous. But you can see how quickly they went idolatrous. There's a little prayer I put, my secrets, toilet paper. I'm always having ideas. CD, put your fingers in your ears, in the toilet. So I always keep a pen there that will write on toilet paper. <laughs> so this, I think this is Rick Joyner said this, and I'm always praying it. And if you dare, you pray it as well. Judge me severely and correct me ruthlessly so I can serve you more perfectly. Judge me severely. Correct me ruthlessly so I can serve you more perfectly. We have got enemies inside and as someone once said, we have seen the enemy and he is us. We are actually our own worst enemy. Our fallen nature is our own worst enemy and we've got to be ruthless with the thing and say you're not having it and that's that. Um, because all of this is here to show us what happens when they didn't actually do what he told them to do. To put to death these things. What's it say in the New Testament? Put to death, therefore, the things of your old nature and walk in the new. We've got a choice. It's, it's ever so easy because he's made it easy. It's given us the Holy Spirit. Maybe sometime I'll, I'll do a bit about the exchanged life. We have a choice, but Satan would not want us to know that we do. If you can sort of imagine, this isn't the old me here, but I'm going to choose to live in the new me. That is filled with light. But every time I'm over here, I'm moving out of my old nature. Take some time to get yourself into gear to make those choices. Um, but once you've got the key that you do have a choice, then you can choose. But you need to be told first you've got a choice. I can choose to respond with gentleness and kindness and love and self-control. I can choose to lose my rag and have a carnal moment. Or two. <laughs> you know, it's, we have a choice. But the, pla the place of peace and freedom, because the more we choose this side, I shall bring my little diagram of peanut, I call him. It's because he's like a peanut shape. There's a kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and he's trying to be in both, you know, so it's shaped like a peanut. Um, when I do body, soul, spirit, I'll explain all of that. Um, but we have a choice. And sometimes we do have to say, look, Father, just be ruthless with me, you know. My, my flesh is ruling this place, and I, I'm not happy with it. Got to put the thing under. Get down.
I haven't got my picture ever of the doggy with the dustbin. Uh, never mind, he might come in. Uh, so God's chosen people were polluted by worship of other gods and God's heart was broken. He wasn't angry. He was broke. His heart was broken. He wanted a people for himself. He calls them out specially. He watches over them. I had a good news Bible when I first got saved. And in Hosea, there was a picture of this person, just a line drawing like this all around this. And there was this, all these little people. And it was God with his arms around Israel. Um, it, it, there was, there's a, a version of the Bible, I think it's the Revised Standard. A friend of mine's got an, in it, there's an introduction about the God's heart and how he gets um, Hosea to marry Gomer. It is Hosea marries Gomer and it, the prostitute, to show Israel how it felt for him that she married a he married a prostitute so that, you know, they could see what they were doing to the heart of God. Um, this is the love affair. He's not strict. He loves you. But he's jealous. I like being, having someone jealous over me. I said to him once, you'll have to watch me because I've never had anyone jealous before and I might get a bit silly. So you have to watch me on this one. <laughs> now what women are, aren't they? Oh, it's God's visual aid to show them how he viewed their apostasy and spiritual adultery. And of course, Israel was his wife in the Old Testament and we're the bride in the New and that does not make him an adulterer. That is talking about the relationship between his people in Israel, two different destinies. We have a different destiny from Israel. The church and Israel are separate, different destinies. That's another interesting study as well. Both equally important. So ten generations after Judah, King David comes on the throne and then came the final announcement to the family into which one who would represent the woman's seed would be born. In 2 Samuel 7, 16, God says, Your throne shall be established forever. This is where um, David is desperate to build a house for the Lord. And Nathan the prophet, something you need to know about prophets and kings, the prophets were more important than the king was. Because you'll hear Elijah go to Ahab and say, you dirty little rat, or words that <laughs> thus saith the Lord. Words to that effect. Because the prophet had the ear of God and he would bring the word to the king and the king was supposed to do what he was told once the prophet told him. But here we are with um, David, King David, dwelling in his house. Uh, he's finished fighting. And the, verse 2, chapter 7, 2 Samuel. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. That's another good study. The ark, uh, the, the tabernacle in the wilderness, David's tabernacle, and the, and the temple, the study and the, and the types of the metals, the colours, everything shows you about it like brass, the bronze altar, brazen laver. Brass is to do with judgment. You go through the altar and the washing first before you go into the holy place. It's all just brilliant stuff. Anyway, Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. Nathan brought a daft word here. 
<laughs> talking out of his own emotions here. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I haven't dwelt in a house since the time I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and a tabernacle in all the places where I've walked with the children of Israel. So he's saying, I haven't asked you. You don't do it because it's not for you to do. He's actually going to be his son that's going to do it. Um, but the verse I wanted here was 2 Samuel 7.16. So he gets told now, Nathan's changed his mind because he's now got the word of the Lord on it. So it's okay, you prophetic people, to say, oh, excuse me, that wasn't the word of the Lord, by the way, this is. <laughs> you know, I was speaking out of my, well, come on, you do it. If you feel you want to do it, do it. Build one. Your throne shall be established forever. And your house and your kingdom, he says, shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Everlasting kingdom. He's telling him it's going to be through here. So that's the final announcement. A, a man would be a descendant of Abraham through the royal Davidic line. And that there is the king's highway of history. From Adam right the way through to Jesus Christ, which you've got on there now, shows you the king's highway. How the Lord's protected. But now we're just going to see an attack. This one, please. I've got some copies of this. This is extracted from a book by Roger Price called, I think it's Victory and Jesus. Um, and I've merged two together. There's a copy there if you want them. That's why there's text above it. So here we are. The most devastating attacks on the line of David occurred in the days of Queen Athaliah. Anybody know Queen Athaliah? Heard of Athaliah? No? Oh, she was a tasty piece, she was. Look who she's come from. Ahab and Jezebel. She was worse than her mother Jezebel. Uh, Ethbaal there, he was a worshipper of Baal. Jezebel, of course, you know from Elijah um, on Mount Carmel. You know, they'd run in there with the prophets of Baal. And then Eli it, it, he went running from Jezebel's threats. You know those stories? Uh, what are you doing here, Elijah, after having run? You know, <laughs> What are you doing here, Elijah? Anyway, there's Athaliah. Kingdom split, Israel and Judah. And we get the most unholy alliance here, look. So we've got two kingdoms here. Israel in the northern kingdom and Judah, based in Jerusalem, the southern kingdom. The, f the fact of the split uh, is there, you know. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He went and married Jezebel, began to serve Baal and worship him. Uh, so the kingdom under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, split into two parts. Ten tribes formed the northern kingdom of Israel at Samaria, and two formed the southern kingdom of Judah. As you can see up there, Athaliah's father was Ahab, king of Israel. That's 1 Kings 16, 30 to 31. 
And Jezebel's father was Ethbaal, priest of Baal, who came to the throne of Tyre by murdering the legitimate king, Phileas. And Jezebel, when she married Ahab, set about murdering the prophets of God. And behind her and her idolatrous and disgusting worship was Satan himself. And it was to this couple that Athaliah was born. Meanwhile, the southern kingdom, based in Jerusalem, was ruled over by Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat. It was through these descendants of David that the seed of woman would come. So Jehoram killed six of his brothers and shortly after married Athaliah. Satan again, get him out of the way. Comes to within one child, one child of bringing the line through to Jesus. So now on the throne of Judah were a murderer and a high priestess of Baal. But God moves in judgment against Jehoram, and you see that in 2 Chronicles 21, 14 to 17. And after this, Ahaziah is the only remaining son through whom Jesus can come. So Ahaziah marries and has sons, but on going to battle, he's killed. And Athaliah, who is still alive, seizes the moment and incited by Satan, destroys the whole of the house of Judah, because he knows it's going to come through Judah. The scepter will not depart. So it's Judah we're targeting. 2 Chronicles 22, 10-12. And here is the point where Satan is within one blow of victory. See the little boy's name there? Joash. Once again, God intervenes by Jehoshaphat, Ahaziah's sister. And she kidnapped one-year-old Joash and hid him in the temple while Athaliah was reigning as queen. Six years later, he's only seven, he's revealed in 2 Chronicles 23, 11 to 13. How am I doing? So she's taken him away. That's it. And he was hidden. Uh, that's not actually the scripture I wanted because she reveals him to the... Uh, never mind. Um, he was a restorative king. Anyway, she, she, she's, he's revealed. Athaliah, oh, here we are. Uh, 23, 2 Chronicles 23, 12. They brought out 23, 11. They brought out the king's son put a crown on him and gave him the testimony and made him king. Then Jehoiada, who's the priest, and his sons anointed him and said, Long live the king. Now when Athaliah heard the noise of people running and praising the king, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance. And the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king. And all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. Also the singers with instruments of music and those who led in praise. So Athaliah tore her clothes and said, Treason, treason! Which it was. And then the priest goes and says, uh, Take her outside and kill her, will you? We don't want blood spilt in the temple. So they kill her. And young Joash was a restorative king. Right the way through the books of Kings and Chronicles, you can see good kings, bad kings, good kings. So books one and two of Kings retail the kings of Judah and Israel and, and their history, sometimes good kings, sometimes bad. 
God sending his prophet servants of prophets to warn them of impending disaster, excuse me, which they steadfastly refused to hear, resulting in their going to captivity, being removed from the land. And as I said, we'll do a study on that. In 2 Kings 19, you see Isaiah. Jeremiah preached repentance for 40 years too, but the people would not obey. And Lamentations is Jeremiah's bewailing of his countrymen being taken into captivity. He's standing, sitting at the gate of Jerusalem, and Lamentation is him lamenting for them being carried away captive, because they wouldn't listen. The rest of the Old Testament concerns warnings and promises until the last book, Malachi. After this, there are 400 years of prophetic silence until the birth of the promised seed and Satan's attempts again to kill Jesus off with Herod's edict regarding the boys under two, which you know in the New Testament. It's just the same thing. It's trying right the way through. Satan's final attempt was to crucify Jesus, which turned into his biggest defeat. Death could not hold him. So with the Gospels, we see Jesus' life, death and resurrection laid out and at the time of Acts, Paul says in Acts 28:28, 28, 28, salvation is come to the Gentiles because the Jews would not listen. So we're in the times of the Gentiles right now. That's what we're in, times of the Gentiles. Uh, from the moment the church came into being, Jewish history, God's pushed the Paul's button on Jewish history until the full number of Gentiles comes in. And then as we saw from our initial thing, then it will resume with the seven years great tribulation after which comes the rapture or the catching away of the church. We have a great future ahead of us. Thank you for listening. <laughs>